The digital side hug is back, and I'm here with David Skidmore, uh, one of my one of my close close friends. David, thanks for doing this. It is my pleasure, David. And I'm sitting. We're in your office, David, where uh, where there are uh, thousands of pieces of memorabilia. Yeah. Um, if, if you can't see this, maybe I can uh, tweet out a picture of his office at some point. But but there there are there are things literally covering covering the walls, pictures uh, signed by people that you love or or know. There there are sports memorabilia, pictures of you, you know, helping officiate the the World Series, you know, Braves championship in the '90s. There are lunch boxes uh, from the '80s. Yeah. Uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. You got lunchboxes from the 50s? Yeah, yeah. There's a there there's just every kind of figurine, yeah, action figure that you could possibly. Uh, what? Now there's too many things in here to. It looks like eBay threw up in here. It does. That's right. Yeah. It's a big office too. I you know yeah. I personally would am jealous a little bit of the size of this office. Um, but I don't know how else you could have all these things. I mean, it, how many have you counted? No, no. No, I didn't. I mean, it's it's got to be in the thousands. Yeah. Not, but not a hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. A lot of this stuff I had as a kid, and um, I didn't want to box it up. And, and it's uh, my mobile creative environment, so I just enjoy, uh, you know, it makes it makes people happy. It does make people happy. And, it, I mean, it's it's distracting, obviously. <laughs> right. Because there's two, there's just so many things. What what, what in here is... is you know, we always do a blitzkrieg get to know me as as you know. I know you, you know David. I've I've uh, you've we've talked enough about the the blitzkrieg get to know me to know that you've heard it before. Yes. So you know what's coming. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lightning round of questions where, where you're expecting ten quick questions, but it's one that we talk about for about twelve minutes. <laughs> right. So I'm going to start the chain reaction music. And and now, are you ready? Here we go. <laughs> I'm buckled up. Let's go. Well, question number one. Question number one would be, if you know the government comes in and seizes your office, okay, a, a crime has been committed here. Everything in here is evidence. It's taken away from you, but you know the judge, and he allows you to keep one item from this office, and only one. Everything else goes and is is at the police compound. What one item in this office? Like including my Bible? Uh, no, no, not including books and things. I'm talking okay. about the the things, the memories, the the trinkets, the the, the shirts, hats, uh, framed pictures, the uh, puppets, the, the the statuettes, name tags. I mean, you could, it's impossible to describe everything that's in this office right now. You know, I'm I'm looking at the hat of the Baron von John Jacob Jingleheimer without the Schmidt. Yeah. You know, that, that, that is in this office. Uh, there is a Winnebago that looks remarkably like the Breaking Bad Winnebago yeah. uh, sitting in this office. There's an old gumball machine. There is a baseball bat that is signed by somebody. Yeah, Dale Murphy. So there's a Dale Murphy baseball bat. Yeah. I know you're a huge Dale Murphy guy. Um, okay, there's a ball over here, a, a Voight yeah. ball that looks like it's signed by people. Is, are those teenagers that signed that? Yeah, that was a, 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 a guys retreat we did called Foursquare. Uh, what it means to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And instead of taking notes in a journal, they we, we passed out the little uh, Foursquare kickballs, and they they wrote all their notes uh, on the kickball. And that's sitting in your office as a memory of that retreat. Yeah, yeah. I uh, that would would that 
I'm, I'm assuming that wouldn't be the thing you keep. No. Because I know some of the other things that are in here. Would it be the signed Barney Fife uh, piece of memorabilia? Yeah, I, I don't know. That, that's what I'd be one of the. Uh, yeah, that might be one of the things. Uh, my Millennium Falcon. That yeah, I had it's as a not kid. one of the things. You, there's only one. I, well, you, that's tough. I, yeah, you, you've made a really difficult question. Well, this is supposed to be lightning round, Dave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know what Blitzkrieg means. Um, uh, man, David. Um, can can I? I'm my two guesses. Okay. Would have been either the framed picture of your daughter playing dodgeball with you, or the napkin. Yeah, yeah. That that you described, or you, you might could even tell us about that napkin. I just know that it has great significance because yeah. of your daughter's baptism. Yeah, when my oldest daughter Daisy was baptized, we went and studied together for a week at a bakery after school, and and wrote that. Um, it would probably be something on that shelf because those are some of the more special things to me on that shelf. Uh, the picture of Daisy being baptized framed with that napkin is big. Uh, the dodgeball store we don't have time to go into right now, but uh, that's a, one of my favorite pictures of my daughter and I is that picture there. Yeah, that's a great, great photo. And I wish you could see the ca- the, the, the napkin yeah. because it's a picture. It's it's some words, but it's also, it's like a story. Yeah. I, I assume you're, you're telling your daughter kind of the story of salvation or, the, or how it works and what happens. Yeah, this is this is starting out to be probably the, the least effective podcast uh, that you've done because of everything that we're describing that is completely indescribable, yet we're trying to find ways to describe it. Right. Hey, I, you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot when people come in here and they say, I have all this stuff in here, does it all have meaning? And some of it doesn't. You know, there's obviously, you know, stuff from, you know, Muppets and, and my G.I. Joe figures and Star Wars, a lot of, you know, geeky stuff. But a lot of these things are object lessons and have been used uh, with a... Um, for a purpose. Yeah. And, and so uh, I've got this fire hydrant that sits in my office, which is an actual real fire hydrant. It is, uh, it's real. And um, I put it in my office uh, in the middle of the floor uh, to remind me that if there was a fire that broke out, no fireman is going to come and actually hook up to this because it's not connected to a source. But it's cool and it looks good. And from the ground up, it is a fire hydrant. But uh, if a team comes into my office and I'm not connected to a source, I'm as is much used to them as a fire hydrant that is just sitting on the carpet. And so this is one of those things. It's like a, um, you know, the sack of stones in the Old Testament. Yeah. And that's what it is for me is, is kind of a, a reminder that, you know, I've got to be connected. So a lot of the things in this office have purpose. Uh, my, our teens hear, my teens hear me say a lot, you know, this is kind of like that um, because I love visual metaphors. And so that's why there's all this stuff in here because uh, to, to, you know, stimulate the, the brain. That's awesome. Question number two. Um, tell us about your life. What, what, you, you live in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Yep. Tell us who your wife is. Uh, tell us about your daughters and where you work. Well, my bride, uh, Melissa, and I have been married for uh, almost 19 years. We have three daughters, Daisy, Annabelle, and Lila May. So we're never leaving the South, I don't guess. Uh, Daisy's first day of high school is today. Yes, Annabelle, my daughter too. Annabelle started the seventh grade today, and Lila's in the fourth grade. We've been in ministry now for uh, nineteen, almost 19 years. We've been here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, working with the North Boulevard Church for uh, 14 years, right at 14 years. Um, and I'm a graduate of the University of Memphis. And went to actually Memphis State University yep. and then uh, got my master's from... Uh, the University of Memphis, all in communication studies. Yeah, they changed the name of the university while you were there. Yep. I know because you were there simultaneously with our Anthony Hardaway. Yep. We, we changed the name of the university uh, when he was there. 
and you got to choose what went on your diploma, right? Whether it was Memphis State or the University of Memphis? Yeah. So I have one diploma from Memphis State and one from University That's of Memphis. That's cool. I like that. And now another tidbit uh, that, that some people will not know, I went to high school with your wife. That is correct. We, we, we were good friends in high school uh, and actually uh, actually went on a date. Uh, so, um, I, you know, it just there's no, no need to, to go into it, of course, but uh, just a terrific family. We, uh, I'm so thankful for, uh, for your wife and, and your girls. And, of course, the Rubio family's gotten a chance to know you over the years. David and I have served on uh, a leadership team with uh, Impact. Uh, if you've listened to the podcast before, we recorded a podcast this summer from Lipscomb. Uh, so we've gotten a chance to do some really neat things together. Let me ask a few more questions. Your favorite TV, sh- TV show growing up? Uh, TV show growing up? As a kid. Yeah. Probably. The one you got most excited about. Oh, I liked uh, the Andy Griffith show, um, even though it was in reruns. Um, yeah, Dukes of Hazard. Okay. Mm, yeah, Knight Rider. As an adult, mm-hmm. what TV show would be your favorite TV show as, as an adult? The one that got you most excited during your adult years? Uh, that's probably Lost. I mean, you and I shared a lot of common experiences during that time, but uh, I was a big Lost fan and wrote a lot about it, thought a lot about it, but mainly because of the community of people that came to my house to watch it, and uh, I still grieve uh, the fact that it's over, yeah. mainly because of that uh, communal feeling of uh, the anticipation um, of getting everybody over to the house. I really miss that. It was a lot of fun. So you're in ministry. When, when somebody finds out that you loved Lost the way you did, or, you know, because I know you wrote a weekly email that was went out uh, all over the world, actually, lots of countries and people would say, I want to get that because it was funny and fun. And you did a top 10, I guess, yep. lost thoughts after. And also uh, in, in, in the later years of the, of the show, the later seasons, a pre-lost thoughts. Right. Um, when people would find out how much you care about lost, did you ever, was there ever a little bit of, if they, if they don't know enough about the show, they might tend to think less of me for loving this show that isn't a Christian show or what have you as a minister why why did it matter so much to you? Why did you why did you get lost in it, if you will? Uh, well, you know, my wife jokingly she didn't like the show after the fourth episode when a polar bear shows up on the island. She gave up, um, <laughs> but she uh, you know she she said something that kind of stung a little bit. She said, you know, if you had converted as many people to Christ as you have to watching Lost, you'd be like Billy Graham, um, which may be true. But I uh, the show told great stories and it asked big questions. And it asked deep questions, and it was about people and about um, their past and about redemption. All of those things that we spend our time talking about, uh, the fact that a show captured that and asked those questions made me want to say, hey, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the Bible story, the gospel story answers these questions and looks at these questions. And, and so, I, you know, I just I, I love good writing. I love good storytelling. Uh, it was, you know, science fiction. It just had everything that I enjoyed and it allowed me to, to completely escape. Um, so and back to the this is a lot like that yeah. type of theme. Um, is there a moment from Lost that is your favorite Lost moment? Give me a give me a worst and give me a best. Worst being your least favorite, and a, a best being your most favorite. Oh, David, I, you know so, I, I know that's hard, but yeah, so many people uh, asked what was my least favorite episode, and I don't I don't know, but I will say that the one thing I remember um, of of my top two or three moments that I remember uh, when when the camera panned back and and in the, in John Locke's flashback in the episode I think it was called Walkabout. And they show that he is in a wheelchair in, in his past life. 
it was at that moment that I realized I'm going to love this show. I don't care. I don't care yeah. what happens. I'm going to love it. Um, that moment, uh, the season finale of, of the first episode of the first season, rather, I, I have never before experienced a moment uh, like that in front of my television. I was watching it by myself at the time. And I just, I, I remember standing up from the chair I was sitting in because I couldn't sit still yeah. and I, nothing had ever captured me like that. And so, you know, those, those moments were, you're talking weird. about the, the moment where he says, the thing is I'm going to have to take the kid. Yeah. We're going to have to take the boy, the boy. Yeah. yeah. And then when they're looking down in the hatch and it zooms, you know, zooms yeah. back and, and I've got quite a few pieces of lost memorabilia in my office. I actually uh, have a, you know, a, a prop yeah. from the show, a candle from yeah, the church that Ben Linus uh, was in. Uh, I have sand from the beach where the show was filmed in a, a container. I gave those out to all the people that watched Lost at my house That's on the last cool. night. Um, so that was a, that was a fun, a fun time in life. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Morris Gregwire asks uh he's written a book called oh. asking can be fun it's I love a these real questions. book I love them. I, they're great he's he's brilliant um in fact i i feel like i'm gonna have a podcast with him i'm gonna sit down with him hopefully very soon you should be doing that now instead of this one because i would be <laughs> listening to that for sure uh he always i, I use one of his questions from asking can be and yeah. the one that i'm going to ask you and that i thought of for you based on all the things here in your office um, this is question number 360. Uh, technically, if you go and read the book, they don't, they don't have numbers, but uh, I, I uh, used to follow him on Facebook and used to go to the Facebook page, which is no longer active, but you can still go to it and find it, and they've all got numbers. And I've been there, and the pictures associated I, I know, with the questions I, are brilliant. I know. that That's what makes it, it sometimes the question. Uh, it, one of the questions was, uh, and I saw it on Facebook, and I laughed so hard, it was... Uh, Go organize a wiffle ball tournament, right? Yeah. And come back and answer the following question: What was your favorite memory from your most recent wiffle ball tournament? Yeah. And I just thought that this is a brilliant book. So my question for you: Question number three hundred and sixty. All right. What inanimate object do you very nearly consider a friend? What inanimate object do you very nearly consider a friend? Um, and it doesn't have to be in this office. Obviously, there's many of them here. But um, maybe um, maybe the the Muppets that I have over here. I've had five Muppets made in New York City from oh. FAO Shorts. Yeah, and um, yeah, I may need an intervention. I've got like I, I make one every time yeah. I go. It's kind of like getting a tattoo for some people. You know, I just I. Uh -huh. I, I um, yeah, so they're 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 comforting. Um, I have a baseball that sits on my desk that I I I will use that baseball to think. Um, it's one is it the one that was signed by all the, the no, students no, no. that played at Impact? No, no, no. Uh, this is the one that I've had since I was a kid. I mean, I threw this as a kid with really? my, with my dad and uh, with with my friends, um, and so I I you know yeah, that probably yeah okay neat. Um, I'm, I'd love to hear more about why you chose. The, are those actual puppets, or are those like your creation? Like you created those out of yeah. your own brain? Like no, those aren't real muppets. No, no. You go and you build. You choose the the body, the clothes, the eyes, okay. the nose. You you choose everything. And there's a whole backstory on. Yeah, I was on, gonna on say. Yeah, you, Do those represent that. human beings? I, I, yeah, I understand. Nobody I, wants to listen to that because well. it'll make them think less of me, <laughs> and it'll it'll it'll, it'll bore them. 
But essentially, wow. that is an action news team that is also they're also secret agents. Uh, and the villain is the most recent one that I just added on top. Uh, yeah, he's he's the most recent one. And of course, the the one here out to the far right, most people think is my brother. <laughs> because yes, uh, one of our teens came in and they said, "Okay, well, this one is obviously Paul. Who who are the others supposed to be?" <laughs> so we have fun with that. That is great. Okay, well, the yeah. last question I'm going to ask you in this lightning round yeah. is, <laughs> is this. Uh, there's a button in front of you, okay. David. Yeah. If you push it, you travel back in time five years, and you relive mm -hmm. the last five years. Okay. Exactly as they happened. So, so you're not changing, you know, nothing about the past changes. You just experience it again for the second time. But I'm aware that I'm experiencing Correct. it. Correct. But I can't change anything about it. That's right. You do the same stuff. Okay. Or you travel into the future. If I don't push it. If you don't push it, yes, correct. If you don't push the button, you travel one year into the future mm -hmm. with no memories. Oh, I, 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 yeah, I don't push it. No, I, I, I go into the future one year? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun to just find out what happened in that year. So you go into the future. You can look at pictures. But you can I, travel I, back. But through. I've lived that year. Yeah, you lived that year. Absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna do that for sure. That's not. I don't have to. But no memories. That. No, I mean I can ask people questions. Well, I can say, tell me about this. What happened <laughs> right. here? That's right. Um, yeah. But the hugs, the hugs with your daughter. You, you don't remember them. They happened, but you don't remember them. Yeah. Now, if you had said five years into the future, that's a different story. No, 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 no. no. Well, Just one, one year. Five years. No. Yeah, I can handle one year. Okay. Because to go back five years and to relive everything and, and knowing some things that I want to change that I couldn't, yeah. the pain of that, I think, would be more than knowing that I missed out on a year. Yeah, and it's sort of, how did the last five years go? You know, I mean, Well, they've been great. Well, I know, I understand that, but I'm just saying if, if they were, it, you know, it, it speaks to what you've been through the last five years. I, I, I would think, I'm not saying you, I'm saying it speaks to what one right. has been through. Uh, but yeah, the the inevitability of of living through something that you can't change, but giving up, you know, not having memories, I don't know. Okay, thank you. Good. So you would not push the button. No, nope. David, uh, you have been a youth minister, like you said, for use uh, almost nineteen years. Correct. Just about nineteen years. Um, I, I know that the first time I met you was in ninety seven, I think, at the National Conference on Youth Ministries, and. Almost this whole time that I've known you for these past 17 years, you have been operating under a ministry uh, paradigm that is governed by the idea of the sycamore tree. Right. At least for most of those years. Now, I don't, I don't remember. Maybe you, maybe you could tell us uh, when you fell in love with the analogy of the sycamore tree. But if you would, you know, of course, we don't know who's listening to this podcast, but presumably the people who would be most interested are are people who work with teenagers why the sycamore tree and why has that been sort of a guiding principle for you in ministry well it was in 1999 actually that i first wrote about it um in an article that appeared in youth worker journal on their theme of defining success and they asked how you define success and for the first several years in ministry like a lot of younger youth ministers i defined success in ways that were uh you know really shallow but yet tangible you know how many people showed up or how many thank you cards i got or how many responses there were or you know just all kinds of things that, that are, are are fine measures and, and they're good that they happen but um but i also define success on if i could uh, prevent kids from making bad decisions 
and if I could save kids from bad situations. And I realized that, that I was trying to be a savior. And it wasn't until, um, you know, I was at a church camp a long a long time ago, and I, I tell this story a whole lot, but it's one of the guiding stories of my whole life. It was probably in the early 90s. I'm at a church camp in East Tennessee, and I asked a question to 8 to 10, 11-year-olds, you know, the story of Zacchaeus, and I said, if, if he did not crawl up in that tree... What age were the people at this camp? Was this a youth group camp? Yeah, no, it was oh, a, yeah, kids, like 8, eight that, to yeah. 13. And, and I said, um, if Zacchaeus had not crawled up in that tree, what would have happened? And I was looking for salvation would not have come to his house. Yeah. But the little girl in the front row raised her hand. I called on her and she said, I mean, very confidently, his song would not have been nearly as much fun to sing. And everybody chuckled. And, and I, I was confused. And I said, what? And she said, you know, his song would, and, and she very tentatively realized she had said something wrong. She said the wrong answer. Yeah. And she said his song would not have been nearly as much fun to sing. And, and I, I, I said, you know, I still didn't get it. And then I, I looked and then it all hit me. And then I just, I paused and I, I remember thinking you know, in my head, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He started to climb up in a sycamore tree, but he didn't. And it, it is a very bad song. Uh, <laughs> and it's no fun. But the deeper meaning of that, that his song would not have been nearly as much fun to sing, I realized that because Zacchaeus crawled up in a tree, Jesus spotted him. We know that most people know the story. And then I realized, okay, I'm, I've got to be a sycamore tree and not a savior. I'm a sycamore and not a savior. Um, and, and that began to guide everything that I did. My personal mission statement is that I exist to be a sycamore tree to teens, to lift them above the distractions of the crowd that they might see the approaching Savior more clearly. It's one of those things that is crystallized in my mind more clearly than just about anything else. I'm pretty scattered. My office kind of demonstrates that I'm, I've kind of got a lot going on in my brain. But but that that's what I exist to do. Lift kids above the distractions of the crowd. Jesus will find them. I can't be a savior. I've got to be a, a sycamore tree. I tell teens that uh, you know Zacchaeus crawled up in a tree and, and hid to get the attention of Jesus. Jesus crawled up on a tree and died to get the attention of Zacchaeus. And so if you look around my office, you'll see, you know, there's there's drawings of every drawing my kids have ever done uh, of Zacchaeus and the sycamore tree. Mm -hmm. I framed, there's like six of those around here. Uh, some paintings of sycamore trees. My friend went to Israel and brought me back a leaf from the sycamore tree mm -hmm. that is in the area where Jesus would have encountered Zacchaeus. And so um, for me, the idea of being a sycamore and not a savior has helped me define success, that God's the one that saves them. I just provide opportunities that lift them. So the, the cool thing is, is, you know, still to this day, I get emails about once every year or two where somebody runs across that article on the Youth Worker Journal site um, and just writes and says, hey, you don't know me, but, but that has helped me, you know, to define who I am. And one of the, one of the cool ones um, was a couple years ago, somebody said, hey, every year at the National Youth Worker Conference, um, we pull out that article and we read it as a group of youth workers every year to kind of remind us. And um, so it's uh, it's neat that that is. I don't know the people that have read that. That's but, great. Um, the sycamore tree is is yeah. It's the guiding metaphor for my ministry. I love that it that you wrote it in in conjunction with this idea of success because the sycamore tree you know that that changed you know that that made it possible for Zacchaeus to see Jesus. It, it would just be ridiculous to think that anyone would congratulate the sycamore tree. Yeah. Or, or or write a thank you note to the sycamore tree right. or, or you know because right. that's not it just it just is and does you know the work that that God put it on earth to do without needing any thanks and I, I love that 
That's really neat. And when we talked about uh, this idea of recording a podcast, um, you you suggested something that I really, really loved. You've been in youth ministry a long time, and I've gotten a chance. You know, you've spoken for my youth group retreats a few times over the years, and um, and and I really value your your insights. I value your creativity. I value your wisdom, uh, and and. And I loved this. That what we're going to do now is just let you talk to us a little bit about these things, and you 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 call them. And you know, right to be a little bit of the ten lost thoughts, but uh, you're the ten things that you don't care whether teens get tired of hearing or not. Correct. Is that right? Did I say it right? Yeah. Because yeah. it's not necessarily the 10 things they don't get t- tired of hearing because they might get tired of hearing these. Oh, no doubt they probably do get tired. <laughs> and these are 10 things that they roll their eyes every time I say, but we'll come back years later and say, thank you for saying that. Okay. And so there, over the years, I've, I've kind of narrowed the list down to just 10 ideas that, um, you know, I call it my top 10 list of things I don't care if teens get tired of hearing me say because I'm going to keep saying them because I yeah. believe they're important. And, and are these, to, to delineate, this is your youth group or your, your teenagers in your own home or both? Both. Or all of the above? Yeah, both and, and other, other teens when I go and teach. Almost every time I teach in a public setting or a private one-on-one setting, I can almost guarantee you that one of these things is going to uh, emerge because I, I just think they're 10 foundational truths. Well, let's do it. Let's start. Let's start with number one. Are you counting down? Are these in any order? They're not in any real order, and some of them aren't all that you know profound, but um, you know, I I couch them all under this Jewish proverb that is on my door. And a lady stopped by just the other day to ask if she could take a picture of the of it. It's on the front of the door to my office because it has been the one guiding uh, kind of a, a quote that, that has helped me as a youth minister realize, um, well, here's what it says. It's a Jewish proverb, not in Scripture, but it says, It is not within our power to, to, uh, to place the divine teachings of God directly into the heart of another person. All we can do is place them on the surface of the heart so that when the heart breaks, they are the first to drop in. Um, so as a youth minister, I can't make anybody believe the things that I teach. As a parent, I can't make my kids. But as a sycamore tree, I can't save anybody. Um, but uh, I can just put these on the surface of the heart. Um, okay, so one of them, again, not in any order, one of them is uh, that sin is nothing more than being momentarily deceived that there is life outside the heart of God. Sin is nothing more than being momentarily deceived that there is life outside uh, the heart of God. You know, it's uh, Earl Lavender up at Lipscomb said something a couple of years ago at a conference that stuck with me. He said, sin, we talk about it being missing the mark, and we think of sin as a, you know, I did something wrong. Sin is I made a mistake. He defines sin in a way that I I like. Behavior that deserves punishment. Right. He said sin is nothing more than missing an opportunity to really live. It's like, you know, I'm just going to waste this opportunity at life by doing this instead. Mm -hmm. And so I want teens to understand uh, that, that, you know, sin is just being deceived. Somebody has said this is going to bring you life. Um, and, and it doesn't. And that's a, that's one of those things, obviously, they roll their eyes at. They don't want to hear. Um, but it's one of those definitions of what it means to, to miss an opportunity to live that I think sticks with them. Uh, the next one, uh, lie once and a thousand truths will be doubted. I don't know who told me that a long time ago, but I understand, you know, it, it was, uh, and it's a quote I'm sure somebody else said, but uh, lie once and a thousand truths will be doubted. You know, trust is so important. And teens, especially with their parents, let alone their friends or the people they date or the person they one day marry. But um, as a teenager, 
you know, they just don't quite understand how valuable trust is. And when it's violated one time as a youth minister, it's hard for us to um, to, to hand back over trust when somebody has taken it and broken it. So, you know, you lie one time and then a thousand other times you'll tell the truth. Mm. We're never going to know. Um, and so we talk a lot about the importance of integrity and honesty. Uh, a third one is, and this is a big one for me, um, the two most important things about a person the second one is what they think about God. And most teens will say, wait a minute, isn't that the most important thing? You know, what I think about God? And I go, well, you know, it's important. The second most important thing is what you think about God. The most important thing about you is what you think God thinks about when God thinks about you. Oh, oh, oh. say that again. Okay. The, the first the first most important thing that a teenager, the, the most important thing about them is what they th- is not what they think about God. I think that's number two. The first one is what they think God thinks when God thinks about them. Okay. Because the enemy is going to say things like, you know, David, you you, God is so disappointed in you. Yeah. You made a mistake. There's how can you face God? How can you go back? Maybe you'll get forgiven. Maybe you can apologize. But man, God thinks you are a, a loser. He thinks you're a reject. He thinks you're a failure. Um, and. And that's what God thinks about when God thinks about you, David. That's what the enemy will say. Yeah. But 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 God says, no, David, you are chosen, holy, and dearly loved. You know, when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit says, this is my son whom I love. In him I'm well pleased. I learned that that's the number one thing that we have to do as, as mentors, as youth ministers, as parents, convey to our children and then to the teens in our care those three things. You know, identity. Uh, that you, this is my child. You are my child. I love you, and I'm pleased with you. Mm-hmm. If Jesus had to hear those three things, then then surely I have to, and a 13-year-old or a 15-year-old has to. And so we have to say, you know, what you think about God is important, but you need to first get right what God thinks about when God thinks about you. Read Ephesians yeah, and oh, hear yeah. all of your identity and your the, the blessings you have in Christ. And, and, and you know, David, as you know, anybody listening to this who works with teens know Man, all the other truths we try to teach them, they don't fall in if they don't first understand when God thinks about me, this is what he thinks about. If God had a wallet, my picture would be in it. If God has a refrigerator, my picture is hanging on it. In God's office, I'm, I'm on this shelf over here. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, my, um, my action figure. Yeah. So, uh, okay, the next one. Um, the hardest thing you'll ever try to do is to be someone that you are not or were not created to be. The hardest thing you'll ever try to do is to be someone you're not and weren't created to be. Yeah. E.E. E. Cummings said, you know, to, to be somebody you are not in a world that is trying every day to get you to be somebody else means to fight the hardest battle that any human being will fight and to never stop fighting. Um, uh, and, you know, to be your, I'm sorry, to be yourself in a world where everybody is trying yeah. night and day to get you to be somebody else right. means to fight the hardest battle you will ever fight and to never stop fighting. And so I want teens to understand, you know, Ephesians 2, God created you to do good works. He prepared in advance for you to do that. You are God's masterpiece. Yeah. You know, that, that, that poema idea that you are God's work of art. And to try to be anything different than that is, um, is really going to, uh, affect every part of, uh, of your soul. Um, uh, the, and the irony, of course, for, for us sitting here today is our daughters are now starting high school. Oh, you know, yeah. This is their very first day at a new high school. 
and and all over Williamson County and and Rutherford County or or wherever you may be, you know, this month, students are going to schools for the very first time, where their family has moved to a new place, or they they they've graduated from middle school or or, or elementary school elementary school heading to middle school, um, and and there is so much pressure on our teenagers to be to be something that you know will be lovable or will oh, be yeah. likable or will be popular or will you know will fit into the category they want they think they want to be in um that's that's you're saying the hardest thing you'll ever try to do is is or that you'll ever do is try to be somebody that you're not that's good and they often think i'm gonna take the easy way out by being that person because life will be easier if i just be what somebody yeah. else wants me to be but you know we all know that, that it ends up being just a, a really tough thing to try to pull off. It's interesting how that one and the third one, the the uh, the what you th- what God thinks when He thinks about you is so interconnected with this mm. this idea to be who you are. Yep. If you think you know if if you don't like yourself or you don't know in the bottom of your heart that 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 God likes who you are and He loves you and you know that then it can be even easier to want to be somebody else. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the next one, if you wait until the moment of decision to do the right thing, you will likely do the wrong thing. Um, if you wait until the moment of decision to do the right thing, you will likely do the wrong thing. Uh, I tell teens they've got to prepare in advance to know what they're going to do in a situation that they, they face. And it comes from a great story that you'll appreciate as a sports fan. You know, Kurt Gibson, when he hit the home run in, was it the 88? I think it was World 88, Series? yeah. And uh, he, and LA Dodgers versus Oakland A's. Yeah, and he gets up there in game one, and they're down, and you know Eckersley's pitching, and they bring in Kurt Gibson, who can barely walk, and nobody can believe it. He's, I mean, he is limping up to the plate, and he hits a home run in one of the greatest home. I'm not even a Dodger fan, but one of the greatest home runs I've ever witnessed. I was watching on a little black and white uh, TV radio combo deal because I, I I was supposed to go to bed and I wanted to watch the World Series, <laughs> and I, I watched that home run and it was so cool. But in an interview later, Kurt Gibson would say, you know, I had prepared for that moment my entire life. I had been in a batting cage. I had dreamed every moment about being in the bottom of the ninth in a World Series. I knew it was going to happen. And he told Tommy Lasorda, "Put me in. I will hit a home run." I, you know, how do you know that you're going to hit a home run? That's amazing. But he says, I, I've prepared my entire life for that moment. Everybody cheers the home run. I, I bet you nobody's cheering the time that he's up in the batting cage until midnight or right. shows up early at the park. And That's so, great. So when, when I tell teens, you know, th- these moments of decision, you don't wait till you're standing at the plate because you will strike out or you're going to, you know, something will get the best of you. If you wait till the moment of decision to do the right thing, you're, you're likely going to do the wrong thing. Uh, the next one... Um, uh, can I just say I love I love that you know the idea that no one's cheering when you're in the batting cage. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. But but you, but you don't you don't hit the home run at the bottom of the ninth without right. hours and hours and hours and months and years in the batting cage. All right, yeah. The next one. Uh, one of the hardest ones to get teens to understand: there is a God-shaped hole within each of us that only He can fill. Obviously, I didn't come up with that concept. You know, I, I don't know if that was you know Pascal. I think that that mentioned that. Uh, the audio adrenaline has a great song called God Shaped Hole. There's another artist that has a song called God Shaped Hole. There, there's there's two really good Christian songs out there. Uh, the idea that there is a God shaped hole inside all of us that only He can fill, and teens will try to shove everything else in that space, only to find that that who they are begins to leak out because there's only one thing that that fits that, and and it takes them a long time to understand it. Um, the uh, the next one. Uh, I think there's four left. The yeah. next one, uh, you know, if you show me anything in the Bible that you think that is trying to prevent you from having a good time, 
you point out anything in Scripture that God says, any command that you say, see, this is trying to prevent me from having a good time. And I will show you in the very same passage where God is making a promise to protect you from something or to provide you with something. God's not trying to prevent you from enjoying life. He's trying to he's promising to protect you from something or to provide you with something. And I'm 43 and I'm still trying to figure that out. I can't expect a 17-year-old to fully understand that. But a lot of times they say, you know, this book is a is a bunch of um uh, you know, Rules. thou shalt not. Yeah. And um and so, you, you, you know, I try to show them that, that God is trying to make promises to provide you with something or protect you from something. I, 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 was, I was actually, all, I, your number one thing about sin and how you're, it's, you know, it's basically this idea that you, you're, de- uh, you're, you're deceived into thinking that life can be found outside of God reminded me of parenting. Mm-hmm. And so often, you know, as parents, when a teen, a teen doesn't like the rules and so often it's just they there's a disconnect between it's they think that the thing is the rule instead of the love that wants the life you know the yeah. the parents want m- most parents want their sons and daughters to experience the best life possible which is the reason for whatever rule whether it's come in at this time or, or what have you and and so when we you talk about God as our father and we talk about the bible you know we think about it as a rule book uh, that is really good. So you challenge your teens. Find find a scripture that you would say, th- th- this rule in scripture is trying to keep me from having a good time. And you help them connect the dots from that the teaching to a provision of God in their life or a protection. Yeah, right. That's cool. Uh, switching gears uh, to another area of life. Treat the person you date in such a way that you would not be embarrassed to introduce them to the person who becomes your mate. Um, which is evidence... That's awesome. Probably in us, you know, sitting here. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So say it again. Treat the person that you date in such a way that you would not be embarrassed to introduce them to the person who becomes your mate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I wish that were true of all of my life. And for most most of the cases, it is. You know, I can find a, a, a girl that I dated in high school or college, and I can say, hey, hey, this is my, this is my wife, and, and be excited to meet their family. Uh, and, that, and that's probably not true in all cases. And, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed of that. Um, but I tell teens, hey, the person that you're dating is, you know, may not become your mate, but treat them in such a way that one day you can say, hey, there's a person I used to date over there. I, you got to meet him. Let's go, go meet go, Yeah, go yeah. meet her. That's, that's really neat. I love that. Uh, two more, and these are probably two of the biggest. These are the only ones that I would think are in order. Uh, and the second one is this. Uh, I, there's two ways that a teen views God. They either view a God who yells down from heaven, that's not what you're supposed to do, or they encounter the God who comes down from heaven and embraces them saying, that's not who you are when they sin. When they feel bad about something they've done, when they feel guilty, they either feel a God pointing a finger saying, that's not what you're supposed to do, which is a view of God I think that is warped and is wrong and is the enemy uh, makes us have that definition of God, or a God who says that's not who you are, and I've 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 seen more teens come to a realization of their own sin when, as a mentor, I put my arm around them instead of saying, "Man, you really blew it. I can't believe you did that. You're such a disappointment." This goes back to that what they think God thinks about, yeah. um, but but yet when a teen hears God through the incarnate Jesus say that that 
that thing you did, that's not who you are. That's not who I made you to be. Um, and let, let me show you who I made you to be. Can you think of, and I, I, I'm at the risk of putting you on the spot, or, you know, it's, it's fine to say no, or, you know, you can't think of one right now, but, but do you, can you think of a, of a story, maybe not using a student's name, or perhaps you have permission mm-hmm. to do that too, where you saw the light bulb come on for a student to realize maybe, wow, you know, God, okay, I, maybe I thought of God yeah. as yelling, but now I realize it, it, he's here telling me there's a there's a me that that I'm you know that's I, possible. I met a student's house years ago. This is back when Guitar Hero had it was kind of big, oh, yeah. and I met his house with a Bible, trying to work him through some things. His life was in real shambles. He did not want me to be there. I mean, really, um, was just tolerating my presence. And I look over and see the Guitar Hero sitting there, and I didn't intend to make it an object lesson at all. I look over and I just realize this is going nowhere. Ask him about something he cares about, and then you know, God, let's yeah. just make this conversation be positive. And we have I mean, what youth minister hadn't been in that situation yeah. <laughs> where you realize this person does not want me in this room right now. This is a train wreck. So I, I say to him, I say, "Tell me about um, yeah, oh, Guitar Hero. Are you into that?" And, and he looked at me kind of like, "Okay, what happened to the Bible study?" But he was glad to be off that subject. And he said, "Oh yeah, yeah," and he lit up. So I was like, "Okay, I'm onto something." And he said, oh, yeah, I love Guitar Hero. Have you ever played? And I said, no, I've never played. And he said, you never played Guitar Hero? Immediately I realized I lose some cool <laughs> cool points in his mind. But he said, oh, he said, Skid, it's real easy. And then when he said this, it's like this is kind of like that. The, the spirit just infused this conversation. He said, oh, it's real easy. He says, you don't have to be able to play the guitar. He says, you, you, you push the right buttons at the right time and you get the right song. And I said, what now? What he goes? Because I never even seen it. Right. And he said, "Here are these buttons on the you screen." You had never seen Guitar Hero. How no. is this possible? But it was when it first was big. It, it, okay. Well, but it was it was so fun. And so he says, uh, he says that it shows you on the screen what button to push. <laughs> you push the right buttons at the right time, you get the right song, and you win. He said. I said, well, "What happens if you push the wrong buttons at the wrong time?" Or or wrong buttons at the right time? Yeah. yeah. And he says, you, he says you get. Uh, the the wrong song, you know, and, and and you lose, and I'm like, okay, and I I just I thought this is brilliant, and and I I picked up the Bible, I had a New Testament with me, and I said, you're telling me that it's so simple, you push the right buttons at the right time, you get the right song and you win, you push the wrong buttons at the wrong time and you get the wrong song and you lose, and he had that look like you know again like we all know, oh, <laughs> crud, I've walked right into a sermon, I didn't even know it, right, <laughs> and he says yes, and I said I said don't you realize that this the same thing happens here, and it goes back to Zacchaeus. It goes back to yeah. your your song being fun to sing. Yeah. You push the right buttons at the right time, you get the right song, and and so many teens just are like, I, I know what that says. I'm going to push this button, and it's out of tune. It doesn't make sense. They lose, and so um, you know, Guitar Hero. When you ask the question, can you think of a moment? Immediately, I thought of that moment because I, I realized he he got it. And and, uh, and 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 I am glad to report it. his life is, is really changed. It wasn't because of that conversation, but some other things happened. Some other people came around his life, which boils down to the last one. Um, the, 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 the number one thing that you ask any of our students, if we got one on the phone right now, and I said, tell me the number one thing. I, you know, if they weren't in school, we'd call somebody right now, and they would tell you, my number one thing is, you are who you hang around. You show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. 
And I don't care who a teen is, if they surround themselves with people who aren't focused on making godly decisions, they are likely going to make ungodly decisions. Or if they, if they surround themselves with people who just don't care, they're likely to stop caring. But when you surround yourself with people who, who run faster than you spiritually, then, then you're going to find yourself you know, seeing the approaching Savior more clearly. Um, so the, the biggest one, the number one thing that I don't care of teens, it's, it's written in our youth room. We end almost every service saying it. They roll their eyes, but I got a stack of emails in a folder where teens have written in college or graduate school mm-hmm. saying, I did not like it when you said this, but don't stop saying it because it is the truest thing that you taught us next to the resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is that you are who you hang around. Um, and that's the message I want my girls to understand. Um, and you know, you, you show me your 10 best friends. And if I just listen to them talk, see what they laugh at, see how they dress, see how they treat boys or girls or talk about parents, I will tell you clearly who you're going to become. And, and I, and I know you've got stories, I mean, innumerable, uh, positive and negative, you know, over the years, uh, of, of teens and, and the ones sending those emails, you know, would, would say, yeah, I, I was, you know, I wasn't hanging around who I should or whatever. Um, you know, we've all just seen that and it's so, it's so true. It, it's connected to this idea of the three. Yep. Um, I got a chance to be a part of a retreat that you did one time. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just called three. Yeah, three. Do you have them? Maybe it was three. Do you have them? Yep, that's it. Every every person needs a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. And that's that is part of who you hang around. Right. You know, making sure you know you tell a teenager, make sure you're hanging around the the right seventeen year olds. But it's more it's more than that because you want that seventeen year old to have somebody in their life that has been farther down the road. You know, yep. the Paul, uh, and then to have a Timothy as well. So so. Uh, to have a Paul, a Timothy, and a Barnabas, and if you show me a teen who's got a, a whole bunch of Barnabases in their youth group, that's great, and, and they may succeed. But if you show me a teen who I know has got a healthy relationship with a Paul, somebody ahead of them spiritually, and who is reaching down and pouring into a Timothy, if you show me a kid that's got those two along with it, I, I can just almost guarantee you. That they are that they are moving towards maturity at a at a at a at a very fast pace. They are living of the ten things we just talked about. They're going to be living seven, eight, nine, all ten of these things. Yeah. If they have a Paul and a Barnabas and a Timothy, you came to that retreat because you were probably one of the top two, three biggest Barnabas uh, figures in my life. Um, a Barnabas being someone who's an encourager at, at the at kind of approximately the same age. Yeah, a peer, a, a peer, a, a contemporary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And which, you know, every teen, every teen, you know, sort of by nature sort of, you know, surrounds themselves with that or, or that's what they're all looking for. And the, the, the first podcast you ever did with, with uh, Buster Clemens, yeah. Buster was, was my Paul. Yeah, and, me too. And, and Buster showed me what it meant to pour into Timothy's yeah. and, and made me realize I needed other youth ministers like you. So uh, it's been so cool to listen to your podcast because the people that I'm hearing, some of them I've never met, but some of them are people that are... Are they're the people that carried the rocks across the Jordan and made a stack of stones? That when mm-hmm. I say, "What does this mean?" They say that this this means that here's what God has done. Uh, Buster was one of those people. He was my Paul. You're a Barnabas, and now we're serving a bunch of Timothys. You know what's interesting about that, and, and not to talk too much about Buster, because uh, I know we, it'd be embarrassing for him him to hear hear this uh, if he listens to the podcast. 
but I love that he connected us. I mean, yeah. the very first time I heard your name was from Buster, who was across town. You were in ministry, you know, in East Tennessee, and we I was in Memphis where Buster was, and he said, you've got to meet this guy named David Skidmore because you guys would be great friends, and, and that was that was 19 years ago. Um, or, or, or close to it. Maybe it was yeah. maybe it was eighteen. Um, yeah, that's so great. So you are the tenth thing again was the you are who you hang around. Yeah. Um, and and those are those are ten things that you that that you don't care whether teens get tired of hearing them or not. Uh, and th- they have all been a blessing to me. I know they've been to us. I, I didn't. You didn't read them to me beforehand. I didn't. I didn't know what they were going to be. Although I have heard you say some of these things. Um, I want to do something real quick that that we've never done before uh, on the Digital Side Hub podcast, and that has involved the listener because I I I got an email. This is two months ago in June, and I got so excited too because uh, I read an email. It's a person from North Carolina that I didn't know that it was at a church that I'd never heard of who said, "I listened to your podcast. Thank you for recording a podcast." The first email I'd ever gotten, and I got so excited because it it meant somebody that I don't know personally has listened to a podcast. <laughs> because I still I'm still working to figure out you know who's listening to this or how many people, if any. But again, the reason I do a podcast is not you know to 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 get a whole bunch of people listening but because I love spending time with people like you David and and I love learning from from people like like Dave Clayton or Jason Ostrand or whomever we've interviewed it is just a joy for me um and so obviously listeners you don't have to do this and many of you may have checked out by now uh and not be <laughs> listening anymore but um and I, and I, and not because of the the last 25 minutes of content, but probably the horsing around before that. But, but if you're listening to this now, I would love to know what the, what it is that you don't care whether teens get tired of hearing or not. You've just heard my friend, uh, David Skidmore share 10 things that are so important to him. He says them all the time and he doesn't care whether teens get tired of hearing them. Um, If you're listening to this podcast and, and you're a youth worker Frankly, if you're a teenager and you're listening to this because maybe someday you hope to be a teenager or or you or you're in David Skidmore's youth group and you've heard about this, um, you know what what is what is what is the thing that 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 you know you need to hear even though maybe you get tired of hearing it that has been a blessing to you over the years. I would just love to compile a list of things that youth ministers send me, uh, and maybe it'll be two, maybe two of you will email, but it will be a blessing for me to read what it is that. What's on your list? Feel free to send the top ten. And if you're a teen, send in. You know, here is my top ten list of things I get tired of hearing. Yeah. But I'm thankful that my youth minister doesn't get tired of the fact that I get tired of hearing. Yeah. You might want to come up with another name for that list, but you could you <laughs> yeah. could send that in. And I just think that'd be fun. And I don't know how I'll go about sharing that. Maybe at the start of the next podcast, or maybe the next time, Skid, that you're on the podcast. Uh, David and I don't live far away from one another, and it may be that that, that uh, I pull Skid in for another one of these at some point in the future. But we're at 51 minutes, and it's it's time to, to say goodbye. Did you are, did you say, every, are we done? You were going to close with something, but I think you already said. You, yep, we maybe. talked about maybe closing with that proverb. Of course, I had forgotten what it was. Um, but but you did that. Any any parting words of, of wisdom or a prediction on the Major League Baseball playoffs or college football season? Uh, there's a lot of Alabama memorabilia here. Uh, anything you would like to say to the Auburn fans out there or the Florida State fans? Well, we're at 52 minutes, so I, I, I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, I just would wrap up 
by challenging anybody listening to this to continue to uh, realize you're not a savior, but you are a sycamore tree and lift kids above the distractions of the crowd so that they can see the approaching savior more clearly because when they do, their song is so much more fun uh, to sing. And and David, you, you, you make my song fun to sing. Anytime you're around people, <laughs> you do that. And, uh, and it's been an honor to be with you today. And good music... I mean, when when our lives make good music, yeah, it it is just good music gets in the soul. I just think that's how we change the world. You know, Paul. I'm sorry, Peter says, and I love this in First Peter, not to sabotage or hijack your point, but when he says, "Live such good lives among the pagans," he yeah. calls them, I think, in one translation. Mm-hmm. But the the idea being, whether whether you're in a context of pagans or not, live such good lives. And he says that on the day of Christ's return, they will recognize him. This idea that when Jesus returns, it'll be like, I've seen that before. And, you know, hopefully every every youth minister, it's one of the things that I love about youth ministry. You know, I listen to Bill Simmons, you know, podcast about the NBA all the time. And there is a best player on the planet. His name is LeBron James. And we all know that. And he's going to Cleveland. He's leaving Miami, you know. And sometimes youth ministers go to and, and fro or meet, leave one church and go to another. But one thing I love about youth ministry that isn't true about any, any you know, any sport, um, every, you know, every teen can think of his youth minister as the greatest youth minister in the world because because he he or she you know is living that song that you're talking about that's so fun to listen to that that it is so beautiful because god is is in it uh that every teen out there can look at his his youth pastor and think she she's the greatest anywhere ever because she helps me understand these things about god and life or whatever about who i am and how god sees me uh, and I just I, I love that idea of music, and and hopefully uh, that can be a can be a blessing to all of you out there in in podcast land. Uh, and now, David, it is time for us to hug. I I, I know David's been looking forward to this because uh, he's such a physical. Affection How did you interview Todd? And you, you never hugged Todd. Well, I forgot to hug Todd. Okay, you didn't hug. <laughs> and I thought I was going to get away from it. Oh, if you've Thank ever you. been to Impact, then you yeah. know exactly what you're seeing right now. Yeah, no picture um, necessary here. <laughs> David, thank you. I love you. Uh, tell your family I said hello. And we're off to the Slick Pig for lunch. Yeah, let's go now. Let's do this. <laughs> yes, it's the first ever postscript for the digital side hug. All right, but I forgot to give you my email address. If you want to send me an email and tell me what's the thing that means so much to you, that you keep telling teenagers, even though perhaps they're get t- getting tired of hearing it, uh, just write an email to thedigitalsidehug at gmail.com. That is, uh, no spaces, thedigitalsidehug at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot, everybody.